This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We are made for love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. Valeria Tellez interviews Pastor Rob Singleton, the author of Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. Pastor Rob Singleton has spent much of his life planting churches with the vision of helping rescue the lost, raising them up in Christ, and releasing them into the community to fulfill the Great Commission and Great Commandment. Today, he is the lead pastor of the Summit Church, a wonderful and vibrant community in the heart of America's ski country, Centennial, Colorado. Through online streaming, podcasts, and special events, Pastor Rob has helped grow the Summit Church into a ministry with national reach. He holds a Master of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary and lives in Denver with his wife, Michelle, and two awesome kids, Nathan and Julia. Meet Pastor Rob at robsingleton.com. Here is the interview with Pastor Rob Singleton. In your own words, who is Pastor Rob Singleton? Well, I've been a pastor for close to 30 years now. I am Pastor Rob Singleton is somebody that just wants to reach people that are far from God or feel like they're far from God, you know, raise them up and everything that God has for them. And I'm a big believer that we can all, once we discover our purpose from God, we should all be released for our mission uh, in Christ. So I help people find that by discovering salvation in Jesus Christ and then uh, discovering his unique plan. You know, Psalm 139 says that we're uniquely made. Everybody is shaped and formed and uniquely made to bring glory to God. But a lot of people don't know that. They don't know they have a special purpose. They just, you know, a lot of people just live aimlessly. So I, I try to help them find that. Yeah, I love the way you speak about uniqueness, that we are unique, and the purposes we all have. Before I ask you a question about God, let me ask you another question. Why did you choose to become a pastor? Well, because, you know, when I was, I come from a family that fell apart pretty quickly when I was a little kid. Now, my parents kept trying to make it, but it was just a very volatile situation where there were, there were a lot of affairs on both sides, my dad and my mom, and it's not a very secure environment for me or my brother or sister to, to grow up in. You know, at church, I heard about Jesus Christ and I heard about his love for us. And even as a little kid, I didn't really, I didn't really have a father. So, I mean, I embraced that pretty quick. 
because my heavenly father became basically my earthly father. I feel like I was almost raised by God. That meant so much to me, gave me so much confidence, helped me discover even young that God loves me and has a purpose for me. So when I got older, I felt like he was calling me to to do the same thing, to help other people find that because I was starting off wrong. I was starting off on the same path. You know, just, I was a punk really, you know, kind of a, you know, when I was really little, kind of a bully. And, and until I found Jesus Christ or he found me rather, I think I was heading down the wrong path. And this has been so helpful and so good in my life that I just want to spend my life sharing it with others, telling other people about it. So I I went to seminary. I discovered Dallas Theological Seminary. I felt like that was the the one that studied the Bible the most unapologetically. Uh, You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, some people believe part of the Bible. Some people believe all the Bible. I believe all the Bible. I take God's word from Genesis to Revelation as just that, God's word. So I wanted to go somewhere that didn't apologize for it or make excuses, but really taught me to understand the Hebrew and the Greek so that I could be an effective pastor, not a not not just, you know, a feel-good pastor. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving people stuff to make them feel good. That's fantastic. But I don't like giving people false hope. So let me explain it this way. I became a pastor who always tells the truth with grace and, and shows grace with the truth. So it's grace and truth, not either one of them by itself. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that idea of being able to tell the truth in a kind way, in, as you say, graceful way. That's even better. And speaking of the truth, if there is one truth about life, what would that be, Pastor Rob? I think there's many, but probably the biggest thing, I think back when you say it that way to Pilate, when Jesus, uh, when Pilate had Jesus on trial and he was going to decide whether he should be crucified or not, Jesus talked to him about how he could be set free and talked to him about the importance of truth. And Pilate's reaction was, maybe you remember this, he said, truth, what is truth? In other words, he blew it off. And and he revealed that his entire culture, the Roman culture, didn't really understand truth. And Jesus said, you need to understand truth. You need to understand that I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so I would want people to understand that We're not basically born just absolutely pure and good and and with no sin. It's the opposite. So let me unpack that because I think some of your followers might go, wow, I don't I don't like that. I I don't like this saying that. But listen, all you gotta do is is look at a two year old. Yeah. And and you know how they they (laughs) learn two words, no and mine. That that is so after the gate you can tell that they're selfish and so I wanted, if there's a truth, it's that, look, we don't need to argue about whether we're born good or bad. We're born with sin, but Jesus rescued us. He came, and if we put our trust in Jesus, we can be cleansed of all that sin, and, and he can save us. So, you know, I felt like Pilate was almost asking Jesus, it doesn't matter if you if you believe your truth or my truth. I'll just try to be a good person. And Jesus was saying, no, you got to start with the truth. You are a sinner in trouble. But here's the good news. I'm going to I'm going to die for those sins. I'm I came on a rescue mission for you. So I think sometimes when I put it that way people think, well that's very exclusive or that's very narrow. But the Bible makes it really clear the way to heaven is a narrow way. And you know, for those that that take the I guess the worldly route, that's described as a a really broad highway. You know, but the way to to find peace and the way 
to find freedom, Jesus described it exactly like that. He said, my way is narrow. So I don't make apologies for it. I would say that's a truth everybody's got to understand. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ and follow the Bible, it begins with, you know, we are born in sin and we need rescuing. And if you don't accept that, it's going to be really hard to get rescuing. It's like a drowning person. You know, if a boat comes by and wants to pull them out of the water, but they go, this isn't how I want to be rescued. I don't agree with this. I don't like it. I didn't ask to be here. Well, they're going to drown. They first have to say, yes, I will, I will receive your rescue as the rescuer. You know, they can't argue with that because, because they're, they're drowning. Yeah. So I, I kind of hope that analogy helps. I don't know. Yeah, it does help. Um, another question I have for you, just perhaps to clarify that. What is another word for Jesus, if you have one? And was Jesus God? Yes, Jesus made it very clear that he was God. In fact, well, let me answer both of those. There are many names. Yeshua, uh, you can say it in different languages. You can say what he was called in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, and all through Isaiah. He is the Alpha, the Omega in Revelation. He is the Everlasting Father. Uh, there's a lot of names for him, but they all point to characteristics of Jesus. Right. In other words, Jesus is not completely other like he's not there are not hindu names that are legitimate for him there are not maybe um cultish names people can come up with or occupational names that don't describe like some people say jesus was just a prophet but this goes to your second question is jesus god jesus said it so clearly in the bible that religious leaders took up stones to kill him many times. And they said why they were doing it. They said, we're doing this because you being a mere man just said you were God. So it wasn't foggy. I mean, in the Bible, people weren't going, did he just say that? That wasn't real clear. Say it again. It was so clear they tried to kill him on multiple occasions. So yes, the the Bible makes it really clear that Jesus is God. There are not different occupational or functional names for him. You know, Islam, for instance, would call him a prophet. Uh, But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he's more than that. So, I I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Uh, Would you say, perhaps in a philosophical way, would you say that Jesus or God is unconditional love? Oh, absolutely. I think in, in a lot of the characteristics that we elevate, He's not just a better option. He's pure and complete. So instance, I would say not only is he unconditional love, he's perfect love. Mm, So God's not evolving or changing or becoming more loving. He's perfect. Let me ask you a question about the um, summit. Is the the name of the church that you, um, is that how you pronounce it? Summit or Summit Church, yeah. Summit Church, yeah. Talk to me about this church. What is the difference between the summit church and other churches, and also if you see a difference between spirituality and religion. Well, well, first of all, I can answer those together. I see a big difference. Jesus struggled the most with religious leaders when he walked this earth because they tried to push just the law. They tried to push, hey, jump through these hoops. Hey, do these things. Hey, follow these 613 things and God will like you. That's religion. And Jesus basically said, if I were to sum it up, that he came to bring relationship, not religion. Mm -hmm. Now, religion can be good if it comes out of that relationship with God. 
But if it's just an institution of following rules, it's actually bad. And so that's that's the second half of the question. What what was the first what was the first thing you asked? Yeah, the summit church. If um, talk to me about it uh, for a moment, and also what is the difference between the summit church and other churches out there? Well, we are Bible based, so we teach the Bible unapologetically, but we do it in a a real modern way. If you go to our website and you start listening to messages, we write a lot of our own music. Oh, our yeah. our praise band does modern, uh, very contemporary music. Uh, it's called Return Worship. We so listen. Our message is is kind of timeless. We don't mess with the message of the gospel, but our method, our methods are constantly changing. So you know, I'll preach in jeans and a sweater, or you know, I don't wear a three piece suit. We don't. We're not very traditional. So I think if you really were to sum it up, and there are a lot of churches like Summit, it's not, I'm not claiming to be the only one, but we use modern methods to communicate a timeless message. That would probably be the shortest way I could say it. When it comes to being in a human body, what is the main purpose of being here? And did God choose for us to be here? Well, yeah, I mean, creation was intentional. John 1, Genesis 1, all talks about it, but it was originally done perfect. If you read the Genesis account, which, by the way, I, you know, I read Genesis historically. I don't, I don't look at Genesis and, and assume that it is an allegory or, or just a picture of something. You know, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I don't think it just happened out of nothing, you know, and he did it on purpose perfect. So the first man and the first woman were sinless. They were, Genesis says, they they were in the garden naked and unashamed. And, you know, a, a lot of the, in fact, there wasn't death, there wasn't disease or any of that stuff, but they chose poorly to do the one thing that God said you couldn't do, which which is eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You know, and so people... Sometimes that will ask the question you just asked. Sometimes they will say, well, God seems so unfair. Why would he put this tree there and kind of tempt them with it? But that's looking at it the wrong way because they were able to eat of any of the trees, all the trees. They were able to do anything. I just told you they were naked and unashamed and life was paradise and they were built to last forever and death and disease and all that had not entered the picture. There was actually only one thing that they couldn't do. And that was either the tree uh, of, of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And that's the one thing they chose to do. In doing that, they rebelled. So God created man and woman intentionally perfect and sinless and to bring glory to him and to live in a perfect paradise. We chose to do it our own way by doing the one thing that he told us not to do. And I think you know, when people say that's cruel and, and that's quite a punishment for that one thing, you know, that, that would be like, you know, if you have kids, little kids, and they're playing by a freeway, you know, and it's don't unlatch the gate and walk out there and go onto the freeway. That could be your one rule. Yeah. And they're allowed to play all kinds of games and you've set up a wonderful, you know, playground for them. And that's like somebody coming along and saying, well, you're cruel. Why would you have that one rule? They can't go out there. Why, why can't they do anything they want? Well, because playing on the freeway will get them killed. And so, uh, you know, it, it baffles me kind of. It, it's confusing to me when people say God was cruel 
here's how I'll wrap it up. If you don't give people a choice, then they're not people. They're robots. If you don't have a choice to do good or bad, then you're nothing but a programmed robot. And so that one decision was there so that Adam and Eve would have a choice. You know, the sad part is they chose to do the one thing that God told them not to do. And that's why all this other stuff we've talked about with sin and disease and all that entered the picture. So, yeah, creation was intentional. Sin was not the will of God. It's not something he wants. But the the availability of that choice had to be there so that so that we could be loving creatures that could experience God's love, too, and not just mere robots that experienced only what we were programmed to experience anyway. Yeah, that sounds like love to me, giving that choice to all creatures of the human beings. Where is God, Pastor Rob? Well, God's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. So God's not restricted to a time or place. And in fact, when you when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, and reach out for that forgiveness he purchased on the cross, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So the Holy Spirit can be everywhere and the Holy Spirit can live in your heart. That's what separates God from not only mankind and every creature and or humankind and and all the animals, but it separates him even from what the Bible talks about as evil, which is a real person in Lucifer. Uh, even as powerful as the evil one is, as powerful as Satan is, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. Uh, so when people will say, wow, I can't believe I did that, but I feel like the devil made me do that, right. they're probably wrong because there, you know, there's, what, 7 billion people? The devil's not making all of them do that stuff. <laughs> Uh, now, it could be demonic. It could be a lot of things. But the devil cannot be working on all 7 billion people at once. Now, God, he can because he's God. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time right. and, and appear. I mean, I put it this way. Here's one of the easiest ways to understand it. People say, well, I don't like to bother God with my prayers because he's got all these prayers to deal with. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to bog them down. Well, God can hear your personal prayers personally. Uh, and address you at the same time he's hearing a billion other prayers because he's omniscient. That makes me think of God as being within us then. So God is inside of us, in the heart, I would say. The Holy Spirit, listen, God for biblical Orthodox Christianity is described as the Godhead. So it would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit they are three distinct personalities, but all it, that's God. They all make up God. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes, like you just said, and actually lives inside of you. When you say these things, I know you mentioned a lot the Bible says. So I want to ask you this question. Is this a knowledge, a belief system in you, or a knowing? It's all three of those. Yeah. I mean, the Bible contains God's truth. In fact, it is God's truth. Uh, and you can study it and obviously grow in your knowledge of the truth. But as the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you, that's personal. So that's the relational part of it. I study the Word of God not like I study algebra or calculus. I study the Word of God, and I would say it more resembles, you know, I'm married. So when I spend time with my wife, I'm getting to know her better. 
where when I spend time studying and reading the Word of God and in prayer, I'm, I am studying the Word of God for truth, but I'm also getting closer to God. So the relational side of that is I'm getting to know Jesus better. So it's all the above, really. So I'm wondering if the Spirit, as you say, the Holy Spirit is genderless. There's no God could actually be also perceived as she. Is that possible? Well, I mean, the Bible does use gender terms. I know that's not real popular to talk about. And I would say this, sometimes the term is used for a male when it really is humankind. So in the Bible, sometimes they do say, you know, if a man puts their trust in God, and that means anyone, a man or a woman. But when it describes God with all these features, it always uses he. It uses that term. But let me say this, I'd be really careful here, because when Genesis says that God created humankind, it said in Genesis 1, I think it's verse 26, it said he created them male and female in his image. So here's where God goes way beyond that. Mm -hmm. So if people try to tell you, well, I, you know, God is just a male and, and no, God doesn't, God's not like male or female. Because a lot of the qualities, uh, the beautiful qualities that a, that a woman has that most men don't have, or a lot of the qualities that, that men have that some women don't have, God's got all of that. Mm. So it, it's not like – so to describe God as, as somehow just male is, doesn't do it justice because he, he obviously created male and female. So all the qualities um, – and I'm, specifically I can't. You know, you would probably speak better to this. Mm -hmm. Tell me some of the qualities you have uh, as a woman that you say that you don't see so much in males. Maybe this is putting you on the spot. I don't know, but just say. I would say intuition is one of them. This idea of uniting, always trying to unite and not separate. I guess gentleness, although I have met lots of men like that, and I think. Most human beings are just confused. You wrote a book about social media, so we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. So there's misconceptions about life, and we are living for others now, and then now we're afraid to express ourselves authentically, express emotions and feelings. So I think that men and women are actually on the same boat when it comes to being authentic. But yeah, I would say intuition. I think women are I'm better at than my husband and my brother, uh, the males around me. You know, I would agree. I, I think my wife has, in, in a lot of cases, better intuition. So I'm glad you said that, because here's, <laughs> here's how I would say that. The, if women have maybe, and we'll just use this as an example, I'm, I'm not scientifically trying to prove it, but if they tend to have better intuition than men, that part of God is going to be even better than that. Mm -hmm. In other words, God's perfect intuition and that's more of, of something that that shows up in females. Uh, let's take um, maybe men. Maybe they're more aggressive or mm -hmm. they're more well, aggressive doesn't sound good. That sounds yeah, like right. a bad. Well, <laughs> right. But I mean, maybe they're more blunt or yeah. fix it oriented. And, you know, you tell me what's wrong and I'll fix it. Right. Well, I can fix anything. So as far as that goes, that may show up in perfection with God where it tends to show up in men. But listen, it can show up good or bad, just like intuition in women can show up bad when they feel like, oh, I'm very intuitively uh, saying that this person is fake. 
And then they find out later that they were genuine. They weren't fake. So the, the difference in us is we can get it wrong. We can use our aggression as men and bulldoze over people or get angry and we'll mess it up. Women can be intuitive and find out, wow, I thought I was always right, but it looked, turns out I was wrong here. The difference in God where he shows both of those qualities is that he doesn't, his intuitiveness is never wrong. His mm. bluntness is never wrong. His dealing with sin um, doesn't cross a line because he's perfect. You wrote the book, Overliked, Finding Direction, Courage, and Meaningful Relationships in a Society Crippled by Social Media. Two questions for you, Pastor Rob, initially. How did you become a writer, and what was the inspiration and purpose of writing this book? Well, I mean, if you think about it, I've been writing for close to 30 years. Even before I became a pastor, I write my sermons every week. I've had a blog going. I've probably written 2,000 blogs over the last decade. But what brought this one up was I did a sermon series called Beyond the Optics about four or five years ago. It follows the life of, uh, of a narcissist, really, King Saul in the Bible, who wanted to be liked so much. He was obsessed with people pleasing and, and getting people to like him. And then it follows David, who was the opposite. King David just loved God. And ironically, what happened was God threw in a lot of the other stuff because he liked David's heart so much. David got popular. Uh, David was a great leader. Everything Saul wanted, he didn't get because he kind of worshiped himself. But everything David wanted, which was a close relationship with God, he got all the stuff Saul wanted thrown in. And Jesus teaches the same thing. In, in Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Well, the things are what people through social media and people alive today in our culture just seem to worship. In other words, people want popularity so bad. So they'll, I don't know, put, put avatars or profiles out there that aren't really them, but they figure that's what people would like. So let me put a fake one out there. Yeah. And by following King Saul and King David, I'm getting people to see that this struggle that's been going on for thousands of years is alive and well today, but it's like it's on steroids. It's so bad today because through social media, people now have all these vehicles for self-worship that make it far more dangerous today than it ever was in all of history. Have you had um, personal experience with that, with social media? You know, yeah, I would. I'm glad you asked that because people always say, well, are you trying to say a physician heal thyself or this is for everybody else, but I don't struggle with it. No, I struggled with it. Uh, we planted a church, my wife and I, you know, 20 years ago in North Carolina in our living room. It grew to, to thousands of people in different campuses. And it's hard when you see that kind of reaction, not to start to think highly of yourself, not to start to think, wow, I'm a great pastor. Or, wow. People are really coming for my messages and, and look at this. And so I, I looked at my own life and thought, my goodness, I'm following, I'm falling into my own trap. Yeah. And, and I saw how easy it was for me to fall for this. And so I'm not, I'm not writing a book about everybody else's problem. I'm writing a book about a trap that if I'm not careful, I fall into it myself. And listen, you can become a person that puts so many different false images and optics out there on all these social media platforms yeah. that after years of doing that, you don't even know who you are anymore. Mm. 
Mm, you've, been, right. you've been putting out this fake you, and now you, you don't know you. Another thing is uh, mainstream media. That's another one. Do you also talk about that with your followers, the, uh, watching TV and listening to all the politics and all the stories out there? Yeah, I, I actually have a lot of, you know, like Instagram story in different, different ways for people to break out of that. I think that is part of a false world. You can listen. We just got off of four years of media being called fake news. You you've heard that, right? Yeah. I think that's at least partially true. Some news in the United States is fake. Some of the news is brought to the public with a hidden agenda on both sides. You know, you've got different news channels and outlets really trying to put forth a narrative that they know all of it's not true, but they're trying to get higher ratings. And so they make the news look a certain way. I'll give you an example in a second. Uh, Over on the right, you know, they may use different vehicles. They may use like Fox News and they will get their narrative out. Somewhere in there is truth mixed with lies, mixed with fakeness. And I say to people, if you're going to If you're going to watch two or three hours of news a day, you're going to become angry. You're going to get set off. You're going to find divisions with you and family members, you and friends. And that's not the way that God wants you to live. So I give people on my Instagram stories and stuff, I give them, for example, three decisions you can make today to break the stranglehold of social media, five Bible verses to read before going online today. And those are are ways to break the stranglehold. Listen, social media is good. I'm not saying in the book that it's bad. Right. What a wonderful way to leverage and, and you know get to to reach people with good news and to reach people with the gospel, reach people with the love of Christ. But it can be really harmful too if you immerse yourself so deep that you don't know the difference between the fake you you're putting out there and the real you that God wants you to be. So yeah, there's a lot of dangers. For those who are not religious, I know you might be targeting only religious people, but if you can elaborate a little bit more for most of us or in general, what would you say are the best ways to use social media? Yeah, I'm glad you said that too, because this book is, no, it's not just for religious people. Uh, I would say that the potential pitfalls and harms are affecting everyone. You know, you can be agnostic, atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, If you really open your eyes, you can see that some of what's going on with social media can be very, very damaging, no matter where you're coming from. What I would say to them is, if you are so concerned with, let me use a a TV show, uh, one that I'm not a real big fan of, but there's a show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Um, I think I heard the name Kardashians, but I don't watch TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm really... Very isolated in that end. <laughs> um, well, good, good yes, I don't know much about TV shows or anything else out there for that matter, really. Well, the Kardashians are, are a good example because they are they're reality show folks. And this isn't to uh, diss on them or anything, but they, uh, they have huge Instagram, huge Facebook, huge TV shows. And basically, it's how you look, the parties you go to, the vacations you take, and the life you lead. Think about the name of the show. I just told you it's called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Right. Here's the problem with that. Why are you trying to keep up with mm-hmm. the Kardashians? Right. That's right. the problem. They make you think like you are less than or 
or going to be overlooked or not valued unless you can keep up with these great looking wealthy people. And I'm saying that's a horrible trap. Don't fall for it. True. I love the way in the book you talk about love. You say we are made for love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. That is a beautiful reminder for all of us that love is not just a feeling, but an action. And so many other things I have here, not enough time to go through them. I made so many notes. <laughs> But before I ask you my final questions, I do still have some ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? One of the, there's so many things I'd like to add. If I had to pick one, I think one of them would be, don't think this is harmless. Don't think, you know, you know I'm not suggesting we go back to Downton Abbey days. That's an old show about living in the, 1800s or 1700s. I'm not suggesting you become a monk and go move into a cave. Uh, technology is good, but don't think that, it, that this whole thing is new or harmless or, you know, hey, I'll deal with it. It's no big deal. I get it. Don't spend too much time on Facebook. Don't spend too much time. on. No, that, I'm saying much more than that. It's not new. It's old. And it's the same techniques that, you know, Satan has been trying to get us to fall for Uh, for thousands of years, like I said earlier, I follow a king and another king and their stories, you know, around 3000 years old, that should tell you right there that the techniques for not living the life that God created you for the techniques Satan uses, they're not new. In fact, Satan's only got about three plays in his whole playbook. And he just keeps running the same plays over and over again. He just dresses it up a little different. And today it's dressed up in social media. It's so important that we get to know that, especially young people, I would say, right, Pastor Rob, or everybody, any age, or especially young people. Oh, I'd say especially young people. Listen, we, I have pastor friends right now that, you know, they're pulling their hair out because they say, we're losing the young people. We're losing the millennials. They're not coming to church. One thing I praise God for and I love is that's not the case at Summit Church. The fastest growing demographic in our entire church is millennials, is young people. They love the summit. And I think they love it because we're not running from these issues. We're talking about it. Right. And in a politically correct world where you, you're not allowed to talk about so many things, there's a cancel culture. If you mention certain things, you're, people are afraid they'll get canceled. Well, we talk about all those things. Like I said before, we just talk about them in love. I think a lot of young people, it's not that they want to avoid all tough subjects. That's not true at all. Right. They just want you to, they want to know you care about them, that you'll tell the truth and you'll tell it in love. And because we do that at Summit, they're pouring into our church. That's by far the fastest growing age group. I love that, the way you started the interview, telling the truth, but with grace, with love. Yeah, That's a powerful way of living, a meaningful way of living. Thank you. So my final questions to you, I'll ask two of them. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? You know, I, I wouldn't. And I'll tell you why, because I got asked that question when I was a teenager. And I knew the way I was headed and the way I was living that I would have regrets. So I already answered it, got on the path that I'm on now with Jesus Christ. And so Now I'm doing what I feel like God wants me to do. So no, I wouldn't change anything. 
And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? I know that life is short. And, and, and you might even be thinking, well, that's a no-brainer. Everybody <laughs> knows that. You know what? They don't act like they know it. True. Yes. We act like we're never going to die. True. And um, so I know for sure that life is short. I know for sure that we need God. And I know for sure that Jesus came to this earth to rescue us, to save us from our sinful condition. And I know for sure that if you receive his gift, you can live a much more fulfilled, beautiful life, knowing that you're connected with God instead of always wondering or living in fear. Is there a God? Does he love me? Will I go to heaven? Uh, will I go somewhere bad? Is hell real? All I mean, you, you can live in fear, but why should you? You can know God, and I know that for a fact, and I have a relationship with him. There's many more, but there's three things for you right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your loving presence, your compassionate work, your wisdom. Thank you so much, Pastor Rob. You're welcome. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, I've got a website, robsingleton.com, and uh, I'm on I'm on uh, Instagram. That's at Rob underscore Singleton. And uh, of course, everywhere else, Twitter. I do have a YouTube channel. And I think right now I'm putting most of my eggs in that basket because we started it in COVID and it's blowing up. Oh, great. And uh, what's good about that, and just look for Rob Singleton on YouTube. And what's good about that is I answer all these tough questions. Yeah. So I don't, I try to answer them in love. I think we have five videos on there right now, but just about every tough question, you know, what does God say about cancel culture? How does God feel about BLM? Boy, anything you can think of so far, we've probably addressed it and we go right at it. So if you're struggling and wanting to know what the Bible says about questions, that would be the best place to find me. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now, Pastor Rob. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Pastor Rob Singleton and his work, please visit robsingleton.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.